Hey friend, welcome back to the Strong Mama podcast. And if you're gonna be preparing for birth at any point in the near future, today's episode is for you. I'm chatting with Deb Flaschenberg of the Prenatal Yoga Center all about how to have a more efficient and functional birth through exercise, including prenatal yoga. Deb is the founder and director of the Prenatal Yoga Center in New York City. Along with being a prenatal yoga teacher, she is also a labor support doula, a Lamaze childbirth educator, mother of two, and self-proclaimed birth and anatomy geek. For the past eight years, Deb has also greatly enjoyed being the host of the podcast Yoga Birth Babies, where she speaks with some of the world's leading experts in pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, and parenthood. And in this episode in particular, Deb will be sharing strategies you can practice to help have a smoother labor, help your baby descend through your pelvis, and ultimately how to set yourself up for a better birth experience, both mind and body. This is all stuff I wish that I had known before my first birth, and I'm so excited to get to share this with you today. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Strong Mama Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, mom, exercise physiologist, and pre- and postnatal fitness expert. This show is all about helping you navigate your pregnancy and postpartum journey with more strength, energy, and ease. Each week, pull up a seat for a new topic that will empower you to feel strong, capable, and confident while supporting your body through all the changes of the motherhood journey. Just a reminder that the information on this show is not meant to treat or diagnose any medical condition. Please speak to your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. I'm honored and excited to be a part of your health journey into motherhood. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Strong Mama podcast. Today I am here with Deb Flaschenberg of the Prenatal Yoga Center based in New York City. We are going to talk about how to prepare for a more functional and efficient birth today. So if you're expecting or you plan to be expecting in the future, I know that This episode is going to be really jam-packed and a new perspective that we haven't had on the podcast yet before. So welcome, Deb. Why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Thank you so much. I'm really excited to jump in on this topic. I'm incredibly passionate about it and to meet your community. So I'm Deb Flaschenberg. As you mentioned, I'm the founder and director of Prenatal Yoga Center in New York City and online ever since COVID. Everything's also online. Um, But besides being a prenatal and postnatal yoga teacher, I have a few other hats for about 10-ish years, maybe a little more. I was a labor support doula, so I attended a little over 100 births. Um, I'm also a Lamaze childbirth educator. I recently and finally passed my spinning babies parent educator. It took me like two years to get all that done. Um, And then also a prenatal, postnatal what is the whole thing? Prenatal, postnatal exercise specialist and a pelvic floor yoga teacher and a mom. So I've been in quite, in the, I've been in the birth world for 23 years. My kids are nine and 12. And so I actually had done this. I opened my studio when I was 28, but I had been doing prenatal for maybe a year before. And I'd been a yoga teacher as a singer dancer for a while. And then one of my students, when I became a yoga teacher, said, have you ever thought about prenatal yoga? Because I was a little disenchanted with the style of yoga I was doing. It was called Vikram yoga. And it really wasn't my thing. And my mom, who did marketing at the time, said, that is the place to go. So this was early. This was like 2000. So this was, you know, well before a lot of prenatal yoga was around there. And she's like, people are always pregnant. And they're always going to try to take care of themselves 
when pregnant. And at the time there was very little prenatal yoga. So I found a place out in Seattle to study. And then I just came back and jumped in. But my real passion for the way of marrying childbirth education and yoga came from when I was actually observing some births because I, I got a taste of what hospital births, at least in New York city were, were like in the, I guess the culture and it was, it was upsetting. And so that really stirred something about using the yoga to help educate so that people knew their body and knew the choices they had. Yeah. That's so cool to hear the background of that. So today we're talking about setting yourself up for an efficient and functional birth. I would love yes. for you to tell us a little bit more about what that means to you. What does efficient and functional birth look like, feel like? Let's start there. Yeah. So it's kind of funny where it's efficient birth or functional birth. So I think of those as when things are going unobstructed. And I, at first I thought, let's think about this. I'm like, I don't want to say smoothly because what birth ever goes totally smoothly without surprises happening. But what we often see, at least I saw when I was a doula and now a childbirth educator, is that certain births kind of just go along. Like things just happen, you know, uh, contractions start and then they slowly get closer and, and stronger and move things along. And then you have those births, like my first birth, that it's just taking a super long time, that it's been hours and hours with little progression. And so I started to dive into why is that happening? And, and then often people are then labeled with failure to progress. And then they're often told, oh, your baby's too big. When it may not be that the baby's too big. So we want to think, why, why are these births lasting so long? Why aren't they functioning? Why aren't they moving forward? And it's usually baby's position, or it could be something internally preventing the baby's journey through the pelvis. So when I think about a functional birth, it means that it's going not necessarily smoothly, but it's moving forward. Things are picking up as opposed to some of those births that are just lasting. Like my first birth was 42 hours. It was a long time. It was, it was challenging. And it was a turning point to step back and be like, why wasn't it functioning well? Why, what was happening? And so that's where I started to think more about what was going on with my baby? So his spine was forward, but his head was slightly tipped. And what we know about the way that the baby moves to the pelvis is things do need to be lined up well. We need to have things smoothly ready so that the muscles need to be in a more relaxed state. We need to have the pelvis well lined and baby's position makes a difference. So that's what I mean by efficient and functional birth when things are moving along. And then when we notice they're not, we need to look at how we can adjust for that and then what we can do prenatally so that we're not having to adjust for that during labor. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So just what you're saying is doing with what is within your control in terms of positioning your baby in an optimal way so that you can, yeah, have an, have an efficient birth, meaning you're not hopefully like we can't control every part of birth, right? But setting yourself up for the best odds of getting that baby out sooner than 40 hours, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because one I, thing that we often see, oh, I'm sorry. Um, one thing that we often will see if a baby is malpositioned, the care provider, that may not be something they're taking into consideration. And they'll be like, okay, this birth is just taking so long. And then they often just go to, let's add some more power to the contractions. And so they're adding Pitocin or increasing the Pitocin. So you can have these really strong, powerful contractions to try to move things along, 
But we also know that if baby's malpositioned, all that power, or maybe there's restriction in the pelvis, all that power may not really do much except perhaps put the baby in more distress. So that's where we go back to, again, what can we do prenatally so that we can really try to set somebody's body up for a more efficient, that baby descends and rotates without meeting that obstruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get into that. Tell us a little yeah. bit more about the steps. Like how can moms set themselves up for success in having this functional birth and positioning their baby optimally? Um, give us the overview of just some simple steps they might take and sure. also maybe when those steps are important to take, like are they important at the beginning of pregnancy or as you get closer to birth? Tell us all the things. <laughs> just thinking about the start of my second pregnancy. So I was kind of terrified um, of having another 42 hour labor. And so I was, my husband laughed. I remember being like six weeks pregnant and I was like laying on my side. I'm like, I'm not going to do anything on my back. And he's like, at six weeks, I'm like, I'm setting the intention. So, okay, maybe, maybe I jumped the gun a little bit, but I think <laughs> bringing awareness to one's body and the balance. And then we all have, habits. Like, so one habit I still have, which is horrible. I always carry my bag on my right shoulder, which is now actually lower than my left from years of doing that. And then that's going to create these compensation patterns. So now I know this side's actually stronger and tighter. So that's going to affect my whole body balance. And that's something that I'm still working on, not having any more kids, but still working on. So I think some of these things, like being aware of body position, habits, compensation patterns, maybe someone plays a sport that they're always one-sided more, that's going to affect the internal structure. So I say, if you're thinking of having a baby or if you're already pregnant, this is something to be aware of well before, you know, you don't have to be 36 weeks to start to notice, wow, my left hip is always tighter that's going to give some information. So I, of course, so some of the steps, prenatal yoga, of course, I'm going to say that we can, <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. we can talk, we'll talk more in detail about the different movements for that. But I think that's a great step. Um, as I mentioned, being mindful of body positions. I'm also a fan of other modalities like chiropractic work that is working with someone that specifically understands the pregnant body. Um, a pelvic floor physical therapist, I think is just gold. I think they have so much information. Um, I mentioned I became a spinning babies parent educator, and I think their work is absolutely amazing. Um, that's really can help set the body up and find those balances. I also think it's important to have a conversation with a care provider ahead of time about timing of things. So what are their expectations? So I was fortunate enough to have a midwife that was giving me plenty of spaciousness. I never felt pressure, but when I was a doula, Sometimes I felt like there was pressure to dilate at a certain rate, and that's not going to help someone feel ready and relaxed if they're feeling like they have to dilate within a really certain small amount of time. So setting yourself up for success is having a provider that is going to support you throughout the process. And then just remembering to find movement during labor. We don't want to be stuck in stillness. One movement can help uh, relaxation, but I'm sure you've heard the term like motion is lotion. If baby is stuck at all, then the movement that we find in labor can help baby find its space. And that can also be a conversation with care providers, because I've seen sometimes they're not encouraging movement to be like, okay, we really need to have a tracing in the bed, or why don't you stay here? You know, 
it can be more challenging. I haven't seen it as recently and I only saw that a little bit for certain doctors, but movement can be helpful. So even if someone has an epidural, we still want to encourage movement. They can get a peanut ball, they can move from side to side, but having movement can help set someone up for success during labor. Yeah, absolutely. I In the movies, we see women birthing on their backs and laying on their backs all the time. And I think we get this mental image that that's the way that it has to be. And that's not necessarily the optimal way. And yeah, there are just so many benefits to moving in that, in your labor. So what I'm hearing most of all is that you really want to make sure your body is balanced, like mm-hmm. kind of from the get-go, maybe identifying some of those movement compensations or where you might be holding your bag on one side or your toddler on one side more than the other. And what's a good way to figure out what maybe those movement imbalances are? I'd say just start to be mindful of, do you always cross the same leg? I know that even though I have this mindfulness, I still do. And so look at what are, what's the bigger picture. The bigger picture is nobody wants a long, arduous birth. I've never had one of my students be like, hit me with two days of labor. No one's ever said that. So <laughs> taking the time to realize kind of the bigger picture is you want a, a more balanced, a balanced body for an efficient birth. So looking how from the beginning, are you always sleeping on the same side? And during pregnancy, yeah, you're probably sleeping on the left. But am I always crossing the same leg? Am I always holding my toddler in the same hip? Am I always doing the dishes sinking into one hip? Do I have a sport that I'm always playing with one side? How am I favoring one side more than the other? And then start to see where you can make changes with that. And some of these things are going to be so ingrained that it just feels really awkward to change that. That's where you can then start to look at some other modalities. That's where I like the chiropractor coming in and helping with some of those compensation patterns. So it takes some mindfulness, then it takes some willingness to look at what you're willing to change. And then it's going to take some strengthening on the weaker side. So I know my right side is stronger. So especially when I was a dancer, I had to work on building the strength and balance in my left side. So it is going to take a little bit of work, but I think the benefit of having an easier birth, I think that's just huge because you can have a long birth and still feel great about it. But oftentimes people come out of it feeling like, wow, that was intense on my mind and body. And we just want to set parents up for an easier transition. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And to add to that whole balance thing, because that's something that I see with fitness clients as well, is they'll notice when they're doing some mobility work, a lot of um, tightness or restriction in their hips, like with internal and external rotation, and then draw it back to, oh, I've crossed this leg more times when I'm sitting, or if I'm like sitting on the couch or riding passenger in the car, like my legs will be tipped to one direction and that is tight. And that's, those are the muscles surrounding your pelvis, right? So you really want those to be functionally functioning in an optimal balanced way. Mm -hmm. So totally resonate with, with that. Okay. That's a really good tip. First of all, just everybody be mindful of your movement patterns and what is, I guess, the most common for you. Cool. Okay. Let's go ahead and segue into yoga because I know you mentioned yoga a little bit there too. And I want to dig deeper into into that. So how does yoga factor into the birth experience and having this more functional birth? Oh my gosh, there's so many ways. I love, (laughs) clearly I'm passionate about this. So 
I guess one of the things that we really strive when we're looking at yoga to help the birth experience is we want to use the practice as an opportunity to educate our students. And then with that education, they can feel more confident about heading into that experience. So there's a lot of different ways. So the childbirth education aspect. So we actually teach, like yesterday, I actually pulled out the pelvis and we have one of those mobile pelvises because I had a student who's 38 weeks and she said, I want to work on poses tell me have an easier birth. And I got very excited and I pulled out my mobile pelvis and I talked about how the baby goes through the pelvis. And it's not just like, like a gumball machine. It's not like, it's like a, a shoot. <laughs> if I wish it was. And I talked about poses that open the top of the pelvis, the inlet poses that open the mid pelvis and then poses that open the outlet. And so I started to introduce different poses that she may find herself wanting to do in labor. Things like external rotation is going to open more of the inlet. So we went through a whole bunch of those. We know asymmetrical poses will open more of the mid pelvis. So we have yoga blocks. We did like feet on two blocks. We did like a side lunge. Then we talked about internal rotation. And I showed a bunch of those poses can open the outlet. So we start to educate our students there and then they can hopefully talk to their care provider about that. Again, I'm always referring them back because one thing I did in the beginning, I got so excited about this kind of stuff. And then students would be like, yeah, I know you talked about birthing on all fours or internal rotation, but my care provider was not keen on that. So while we introduce this, we try to remind them to to work with their whole team. So maybe they're going into their care provider and saying, I just learned about this. How can we work this in? So instead of asking permission, can I birth like this? It's how can we work this in to the bigger birth plan? So it's not asking permission to do it. It's asking how to do it. I found that a lot more successful. We're also using the yoga poses for coping skills. That I think can help with a more efficient and functional, just better birth experience. So a lot of times we think of yoga as just like, oh, I'm just going to stretch and breathe. But I like to dip into poses that can feel more challenging because birth often has challenges. And even though I have students that are like, well, I'm going to have an epidural. And I'm like, that's absolutely fine. But you're not going to have it at your first contraction. And if you show up too early, they're either going to try to move labor along or they're going to send you away. Or at least in New York City with our big teaching hospitals, you might be stuck in the waiting room or triage. So even if your bigger picture is pain medication, I want you to have the coping skills to get to wherever you have to. So that's where we can use the yoga poses that we have some poses that are really spicy that are asking a lot of our endurance and our muscle strength. Then we have some poses that go on the other side and we have to relax into the stretch of them. And then we learn a whole bunch of coping skills. Each class, I usually focus on one or two. So it could be mantras, it can be breath work, it could be visualizations, it could be progressive relaxation, um, it could be where's your focus, internal, external. So there's so many different coping skills that we can incorporate so that when they do hit their birth experience, they're not searching for now, what do I do? They've actually practiced it in an uncomfortable situation because we don't, it's easy to make a list and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this when you're comfortable, but can you apply it when you're uncomfortable and practice it over and over? So it becomes second nature. And then we also encourage a lot of bodily autonomy, which I think is really important because it's easy to get stuck in 
you want, you go into your place of birth and they tell you, oh, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And it's hard to say no. So what we're trying to do is encourage our students to make decisions about how they want to move their body. So here are the poses. So I'll often say to the students, like, I'm just offering you these options. I want you to make the decision. And so I'll say, like, does this pose not feel right for you today? Do you want it in Do you want to just completely omit it? Maybe your warrior two today is really child's pose or give them permission to take a break. So I think the bodily autonomy, but now let's turn the corner and talk a little bit more about the body balance. So I gave a whole bunch of reasons why yoga can support the birth experience, but now we can talk about the actual poses. So we talked about the idea of balancing the internal body. So one of the things we can do is we can look at certain poses and breath work. So we'll start with breath work. Um, one of my favorites called 360 breathing, and I can even go over some poses in a little bit about, I, I call it homework for my students or homework, and maybe I'll even teach it if you want. Um, but 360 breathing is a diaphragmatic breath that really focuses on the side and back rib mobility, but it can help relax the pelvic floor and relax the psoas. And so that's the foundation, because I think really good breathing can and that's gonna help soften the body is, is a key. But then we can look at where's their tension. Now, a lot of folks have tension in the pelvic floor and that's a big contributor to issues with the baby's position. So we need to explain to the students because so many times they're gonna hear, oh, you're pregnant, you should be doing Kegels, just tighten it all up. But the pelvic floor needs to be like a trampoline, it needs to stretch. So we're giving the students poses that can actually release tension, stretch the pelvic floor muscles, and then actually build strength. And I know you know this as, a, as someone in the fitness world, we need to actually build hip and glute strength so the pelvic floor is not taken over and doing its job. So, you know, the job of, of the glutes mm -hmm. and stuff. So we actually focus a lot on building strength in the hip and glutes. So again, people walk into prenatal yoga and they thought like, aren't I just going to stretch? Why, why am I doing Romanian deadlifts? Why am I doing dynamic squats? Because <laughs> we need to build that butt strength up. So we look at strengthening because then I also think it's good for that coping skill. We're also looking at yoga poses that can help release the psoas. So it's actually one of my favorite muscles. I'm such an anatomy geek. Um, <laughs> it runs behind the uterus. And I think of it like a little runway for baby to head into the pelvis. Now, when it's tight, that can also contribute to baby's positioning. If it's if maybe the head's a little asynclitic, that's going to contribute to how the baby descends and rotates. And then we're including poses that help release the psoas. We're also listening to the students because a lot of them will come in with pelvic issues. Maybe they have SI joint pain or pubic pain. So then we're also working to align the pelvis, which will then help release uh, tight or torqued pelvic ligaments. Um, and then the last one I wanted to throw in is that we, in our yoga classes, we also teach students how to connect to their transverse abdominal muscles so that when they're pushing, they're not pushing from their face. They can use their breath and their core to efficiently and functionally birth their baby. So again, that was quite a long-winded answer, but there's so many ways to use yoga, <coughs> excuse me, to help with body balance, and a more efficient birth. 
Breastfeeding is one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And I know there's no way I would have nursed each of my babies for as long as I have without the right education and understanding of all the ins and outs of lactation. When it comes to breastfeeding education, my go-to resource is Milkology. I've taken their ultimate breastfeeding course as well as their back to work pumping course, and both have been extremely valuable in just helping me feel more confident and capable to breastfeed and pump for as long as I did. They also have a course for exclusive pumping if that's your preference. I speak from experience when I say their online courses are affordable and the information is easy and fun to digest. It's not your boring hospital breastfeeding course and it doesn't take a lot of your time. If you're looking for a great breastfeeding resource, I cannot recommend Milkology enough. As a part of the Strong Mama community, you can save 10% on all of their courses. Just use the link in my show notes and code SMW10. Wishing you all the best on your lactation journey. Yes. Thank you so much for all of that. I think there are so many good nuggets in there that we can apply right away. And some things that are kind of coming up for me are that yoga is this just like mind body experience. And I think that, I mean, that's obviously so good for birth because birth is also a mind body experience. And so often we're not preparing for that mind part. Yep. So I love that. And also I think a lot of times pregnant women, moms, people in general really kind of think of prenatal yoga as just like very easy, very light. And like you had mentioned in there, we're going to also build strength. Like, yes, it's, there's going to be some gentle aspects because we need that relaxation part, but there's also going to be that building of endurance. There's also going to be that building of strength. And I think that's just such a good piece to call out that that is okay um, to have in there as long as that feels good to you, like going back to that autonomy piece. Yeah. And that is something a lot of people are surprised by is, and again, it's how different people approach prenatal. This is just my approach because one thing I learned as I continued my own studies is that a lot of times we don't have strength in certain muscles. So other muscles are going to compensate. And that's where we can see problems with the way baby descends. So the two main areas that we can look at is the pelvic floor and the psoas. They tend to pick up, I think of them like, like the moms of the body. Like I look at myself and if I don't pick up, like I actually do this. I don't know if you've ever done this with a mom. Like I one time purposely left some socks just sitting by the stairs. And I'm like, is anyone going to pick those up? No, it was a week. It was a week went by. Nobody did. And I'm like, fine, I'm going to do it. And I kind of feel like that's how the psoas and the pelvic floor feel. You're like, okay, glute muscles, adductors, hamstrings, you know, core stabilizers. Aren't you going to help me out? And when they don't show up and do their work, then the psoas is like, I guess I got to stabilize the spine. And the pelvic floor is like, I guess I got to stabilize the pelvis. And that's not their jobs. And they actually become overworked and tight. And that's not what we want if a baby's going to descend and rotate through. They need to actually be supple. So that's why actually the strength quality is so important that if all the muscles are playing on the team equally, it's going to be better for the body in, in one's birth. Yeah. Yeah. So important. I agree. I think like, I don't know if this is statistically true. I don't know the stat on it, but I feel like many more people have tight pelvic floors than weak pelvic floors. And well, they can be both. They can be tight. You can, a tight muscles, often a weak muscle. So we need to relax the tension and then build the strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So going back to that balance, just having both, working both, not just doing Kegels all the time, because I know that in my childbirth education class that I took, which was not good, it was through my hospital. I did not, you know, I just signed up for it as a first time mom, not knowing anything. And they were like, do a hundred Kegels a day. And that was what I tried to do. And that was a terrible idea. So yes, there's definitely that balance aspect to the pelvic floor too. So I'm glad that you called that out. <laughs> Let's talk about some specific poses. Are there any like yeah. favorite poses that you can give us or like positions that might be helpful at certain times or for certain aspects of things that we just talked about, like the relaxation side or yeah. um, positioning, things like that? Yeah. So as I was talking about earlier, one of my favorite things is what's called 360 breathing. And it's funny that you're talking about specific pose because yeah, I actually really do give homework to my students. I'm like, okay, here's some things. So I know they can't make it every day and I know they want to continue to prepare their body. So they have a little homework. And one of my students pointed out, she's like, the homework list is getting very long. Can we edit this? All right. So 360 breathing is one of my favorites. And let me, if we have time, I can just kind of quick example of it. So when we think of 360s, 360, it's the whole 360 degrees of the rib cage. Now you'll often hear people say like, take a deep belly, a deep breath to your belly. And then we're pushing into muscles and connective tissue that's already pretty stretched out when pregnant. But if we think about the diaphragm, this dome-like muscle, I kind of think of it like a jellyfish. It's not just a forward thing. It's 360s, 360 degrees. And because of the curvature of the spine, the back ribs are getting less mobile and we need that. That's going to, if they're less mobile, that can create neck tension, back tension, and the posterior pelvic floor can get really tight. So I have students start by bringing their hands right to their bottom ribs. And I call them like little lobster hands right at their bottom ribs and put a little bit of pressure into your hands or your hands into your ribs. And then when you breathe, focus on the breath into your hands and back ribs as opposed to your belly. So you may start to feel when you inhale that your rib cage expands out. And as you exhale, your rib cage deflates in. And then sometimes I have them bring a yoga strap around their whole rib cage and breathe into that. So when we get that 360 breathing, getting into the side and back ribs, we're getting the, the whole diaphragm dropping and that's going to put a little pressure onto the pelvic floor and that's naturally going to stretch the pelvic floor. You're not having to bulge or push anything. It's just really good breathing. That's going to help relax the psoas and relax the pelvic floor. So we start every class with that and then we end, I mean, hopefully they're still doing it throughout class, but I'm bringing mindfulness to it from the beginning to the end. So when those two things can soften, again, it can help with, uh, it can help the whole body relax, but it's also going to help the nervous system. And we want that nervous system. So many of us are living in this very tension-filled, anxiety-filled world where we're constantly being hit by stimulus. And so when we can get the parasympathetic nervous system more into play, it can help regulate us. So that's going to be super helpful. So that's homework piece number one, 360 breathing. I'm always looking for something that's going to stretch the adductors, your inner thighs. So there's a pose called gate pose where we're really working on it's kind of modified gate pose, stretching the inner leg. For a lot of us, that's really ropey and that can also contribute to pelvic floor tightness. There's another pose called 90-90. So your legs kind of look like a pinwheel. You have 
The front leg is in an external rotation 90 degrees. Your back leg is in an internal rotation 90 degrees. And then you're lifting and lowering that back hip. That can also help relax the psoas. And then I have a pose for my final piece of homework that I made up. I call it Deb's Pyramid because um, it's actually a pyramid pose in yoga. So if I say pyramid, people might actually think that. But this is, in my mind, it looks like a pyramid. So it's a mashup of a pose called Downward Facing Dog and then this wide-legged forward fold. So the feet are wide, and then we internally rotate the legs. So when we internally rotate, it widens the sit bones. And then the upper body is like down dog. So your upper body is forward at an angle, but your legs are wide and slightly internally rotated. And they're not back like down dog, they're, they're straight up and down. And when we get that internal rotation and that lift of the tailbone, you're getting a really great stretch of the pelvic floor and some of the pelvic ligaments. And you're also giving the pelvic ligaments and some of the uterine ligaments and the psoas a little stretch. It's one of my favorite. It feels amazing on one's back as well. It's probably asked for in every class. So those are kind of my, my go-to for really, especially for people in that 36 plus week, I really focus on those poses. But I think it's never too early, as I mentioned, to work on these things to create balance and, and mindfulness. Yeah, you guys heard it. That is your homework for today. So <laughs> if you don't know those, those are some really great ones. I've used those as well many of times. I love 360 breathing is like the foundation of everything. I feel oh, like that is just the first step in having just really efficient exercise in general, just knowing how to, yeah. you know, move your, mobilize your rib cage and, and breathe in that way. Um, 90, is another favorite. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing those. Absolutely. Is there anything that we should be looking for or avoid when starting a, a yoga practice in pregnancy? That's a great question. So I'm not trying to be self-serving because we do have a teacher training program, but make sure your teacher is actually certified in prenatal yoga because I've had students join us online and be like, oh, I was taking from somebody they were pregnant. So I assumed they knew what they were doing just because one's been pregnant doesn't mean like my mom was pregnant twice and she would have no idea how to help anybody through pregnancy. So being pregnant alone is not a qualification to be teaching. Even if they're a yoga teacher, there are definitely things that we need to be considerate of. So first thing, make sure your teacher is a certified prenatal yoga teacher. Then in general, what we're looking for is we want to avoid poses that are going to create instability in the joints and pelvis especially the pelvis, because we know that when the pelvis is misaligned, that's when ligaments can get tight. We're also avoiding deep twists and deep back bends. Uh, we twist, it doesn't mean you can't twist, but we're twisting more from the upper back as opposed to like a deep belly churning. And we're not, and again, we can do back bends. It's great to do some chest opening, but we're not focusing on big like wheel pose because that puts a lot of pressure in the front body. And especially if someone happens to have an anterior placenta, that that's that wouldn't be good to, to overstretch that. Um, anything that puts a lot of downward pressure on the pelvic floor that's overstraining or any sort of breath retention we try to avoid. We don't lay prone. We're not flat on your belly <laughs> after the first trimester, although we don't usually see a ton of folks in the first trimester. We're also not doing long periods of time on your back after 20-ish weeks. We definitely can be on the back, but we do it at an, with a bit of an elevation. Um, when someone's doing anything that might be like a half plank situation or just any, we're looking that they're avoiding doming or coning of the abs, which can worsen diastasis. 
And then in general, we're being mindful of breath work. We're not doing a sharp breath of fire, like a, cause that's, that can be too much for the body as well. There's a lot you can do, but we also want to be mindful of the changes in the pregnant body and work with the body as opposed to feel like we're working against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are really good tips. And another kind of follow-up question to that, because I'll have clients sometimes or just people in general who will ask um, that they want to go to like an in-person yoga class. It's not prenatal yoga, just a general yoga class in pregnancy. And they're like, is this okay? How do I modify? Do you have any suggestions for that if they don't have access and they want to just like try a class in their in their local community, of course, like we can point them your direction for like online classes. Um, But for somebody with that question, I'm just curious what you would say. It's tricky. It really can be tricky because the teacher, if they're just a 200 hour teacher, they may have very little information. Most Yoga Alliance 200 hour teacher trainings maybe have two or three hours of prenatal. And that's not a lot. They're probably just going to learn like, don't deep twist, don't lay on your belly. So, and then it's also sometimes hard to say, do with what feels right, because they may not realize that they're creating some injury or instability until after. And then even in the first trimester, I'd be mindful of the suppleness. So relaxin is released at conception and it surges for the first three months and it's through your body for up to a year postpartum. So we want to be mindful that is relaxed. So people are like, what is this relaxin she's speaking of? It's a hormone that's softening your tendons and ligaments. So there can be some more instability in the joints. I call it barred flexibility where all of a sudden you're like, wow, I've never been so open in this pose. That can be creating too much stretch in parts of the pelvis or joints. So it's hard to say, just listen to your body. I would say, well, that's tough. If you can, obviously, even in a general class, look at how is this helping or hindering my body? Am I building strength or am I building tightness? Am I pushing myself to where I'm straining? Am I doing this for my ego? And trust me, I stayed in my regular class, even though I know all this way too long because I was a little wrapped up in my practice. So I get that. I say that with compassion. But am I doing this or am I ego or am I doing this because I think it's going to help strengthen and balance my body? So I guess it then it does put the onus on the, the practitioner of why am I doing this? What am I doing this? How is it going to benefit balance or is it actually going to add and contribute to more imbalance? So yeah, that's, that's a, a really good answer. response. No, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> really good response. I I know I always get tripped up on that one too, because it's like, well, it may not be the best thing. It really might not. You know, there are just lots of other things that you can definitely be mindful and make those modifications, but long-term you probably want to find something more supportive to, you know, preparing for the remainder of the pregnancy and birth. So great. You want to think, is it helping or hindering? If you're over-tightening in the big picture, that's not going to help your birth. And then it's not going to help your rehab. If you have this crazy tight pelvic floor or psoas, the birth might be harder. And then that practice that someone loves, they may have to work with a physical therapist and their their integration back into that, that practice might take even longer because they're rehabbing. Yeah, absolutely. One more question before we sure. wrap up. Yeah. If somebody is looking to start a prenatal yoga practice, how often would you recommend they 
practice yoga? That's a great question. Actually, students ask me that all the time. I guess it depends on the prenatal practice. Like our yoga practice is for the pregnant body. It is safe to do as much as you want. In fact, we did a, a, I just had a big birthday recently. We did like a whole Deb's birthday challenge with some prizes. And we had one student who came twice a day for some time. So I'm like, like, how did you come 34 times in 31 days? She's like, I came twice. So you absolutely can, depending on the practice, practice every day if you want. But then remember, we have the permission that there may be days that you show up, you're like, I really held warrior two yesterday. And today I'm going to take it more easy. So you can practice every day with the permission to listen to how your body wants to take that practice. Beautiful. Okay. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Tell everyone where they can connect with you beyond this episode. So you can find me and all our offerings at prenatalyogacenter.com. We are on social media at prenatal yoga center. Um, that's me. <laughs> prenatal yoga center. Oh, and I have a podcast called yoga birth babies. And so you can check me out there as well, but yeah, fine. And we have a ton. We have online offerings. We have in-studio offerings. We have an on-demand because maybe our schedule doesn't meet your schedule. There's a lot of ways to connect. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing and for sharing all your wisdom in this episode. I know that moms are going to walk away with some really tangible steps that they can take to work towards a more efficient birth. So thank you, Deb. Thank you for this opportunity. And that's a wrap, Mama. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Strong Mama podcast. If this show has served you in some way, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Head to strongmamawellnessco.com for more free resources and opportunities for us to work together. Until next time, keep moving.